0: Welcome to How to Sell Drugs, presented by Lucy, a podcast about drug culture, policy, and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. We believe that prohibition and abstinence-only policies result in poor results for society. We'll be discussing how drugs are sold and, perhaps more importantly, how they should be sold. This is not intended to advocate drug use and meant for educational purposes only. Our primary sponsor for this podcast, as always, is us. If you or someone you know uses nicotine, we encourage you to visit lucy.co to try a range of delicious and satisfying products that we hope you'll find to be much better than cigarettes, vapes, smokeless tobacco, and other traditional tobacco products. I'm David Renteln, CEO and co-founder of Lucy, and I'm joined today by John and Sammy. Hi, David. Hi, John. Hey, David. Hi, Sammy. So, uh... Before we get going, maybe, uh, John, you can introduce yourself, and then, and Sammy, you introduce yourself as well.
1: Sure. So, yeah, my name is John Coogan. I studied economics and worked with uh, David on a previous project called Soylent, where we sold a healthy meal replacement project uh, product online. Uh, I did most of the technology there, and uh, I do a lot of the same stuff here.
2: My name is Sammy Hamdoush. I am the head of operations here at Lucy. Uh, I was previously head of R&D at Soylent and um, before that was a scientist working in biopharma and I have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biophysics. Great. Thanks, guys. So uh,
0: today is uh, our first inaugural uh, episode of this podcast where we're going to be explaining uh, a little bit about the company, why we're here, why we do what we do.
1: Yeah. So, uh, maybe we should go through some questions and, um, we can kind of highlight your story and, um, see how you got here to this point.
0: Sure. That sounds like a good place to start. So,
1: so first up, uh, just how did you come up with this idea, David?
0: Sure. So, uh, as actually
1: tell us what this idea is.
0: So basically we make a premium and satisfying nicotine gum. The company's mission is to promote harm reduction, uh, when it comes to nicotine. So we realized that nicotine itself is not the principal agent of harm in terms of causing cancer and other negative health effects. And we realized that oral pure nicotine products have a storied safety history and that if more people who consume nicotine were to switch to these products that we would have a better result for society overall.
1: Great. Um, and maybe this is a good one for Sammy, but, uh, can you talk a little bit about just the science of nicotine? What, what do people, you know, get wrong usually when they think about nicotine?
2: Yeah, well, I think the first thing they get wrong is uh, what David just mentioned, the fact that it's the um, uh, not the harmful component of tobacco and, and cigarettes, um, but it is the primary reason why people use tobacco um, and smoke cigarettes. Um, and the reason is because of its uh, effects on um, on the brain. So nicotine is a, um, a stimulant, um, and it's uh, a little bit different from caffeine, which is obviously the most popular stimulant um, in the world, in that the half-life is much shorter. So, you know, smoking a cigarette, you know, you get the effects for, you know, maybe 30 minutes um, before, you know, you start to go back to baseline. Um, And the effects are a little bit different um, than caffeine because you get the sensation of sort of increased uh, alertness and awareness in addition to uh, reduced stress and, um, and calm. So it's, uh, it, you know, people that use nicotine don't get as jittery from, from the stimulant effects. Um, so it's pretty unique in its uh, effects on the brain. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's become such a popular, um, you know, uh, pharmacological agent um, in, in society.
1: Good to know. And uh, maybe it'd be good to just go over a little bit of the history of nicotine.
0: Sure. Yeah. So nicotine has been used by humans for thousands of years and originally came to Europe via the Colombian exchange. So that was uh, basically the result of European settlers moving to North America and South America. And they brought some things with them, uh, such as smallpox, and they took some things back with them, uh, including tobacco. So that was uh, a very interesting trade. Um, there were a few other things obviously involved in the uh, Colombian Exchange, but then tobacco came to uh, Europe, where it became very popular. There's a, a very long and storied history behind you know how how tobacco and, and nicotine uh, in the vehicle of tobacco became uh, commonly used throughout the world, and so we probably can't do it uh, complete justice here. I think that'll be a good topic for a future podcast, but essentially. In England, the taxation revenue that came from New World colonies was very, very attractive because people really liked uh, using tobacco. And so that uh, led to the expansion of the crop and the expansion of consumption. And back at this point, it was typically consumed in cigars and and pipes and also uh, as snuff. And then uh, the cigarette uh, was invented um, much more recently. last couple hundred years, and uh, that invention of the cigarette led to an extreme mass adoption because they were cheap, very modular, very convenient. In fact, some workers were even paid in cigarettes uh, as as part of their compensation. And unfortunately, cigarettes lead to a deep inhalation into the lungs, which leads to uh, increased addiction and, and health problems.
1: Got it. Got it. So, I mean, obviously everyone knows that cigarettes are bad, but, um, I mean, there's still, you know, just a common conception that nicotine as a whole is bad. Um, talk to us a little bit about harm reduction and what that, what that means as a strategy for improving public health.
0: Sure. So harm reduction is fortunately a strategy that seems to be gaining more and more traction. Uh, I believe probably because of the advanced data collection methods and advanced statistical methods used to, to prove its efficacy. So it's the idea that uh, instead of creating something like an abstinence only policy or a prohibition, where uh, if you remember a famous example is the American prohibition in the uh, 1930s uh, and 20s, uh, when, when alcohol was, was banned and it created a very powerful criminal class who Skirted the regulation. It was ignored. It was still a very large component of society And then the products that they released were highly unregulated a lot of these alcohols were made in Cabins in the woods and they were adulterated and they would cause health problems I mean people have probably heard of the expression, you know, I drank the moonshine and went blind Uh, these are the kinds of things that unfortunately happened so we've seen with human society that when there is something that people seem to really want or enjoy, that trying to prevent it from entering society uh, totally just doesn't really work and and leads to black markets and adulterated products and more harm overall. So harm reduction basically uh, believes that If you can regulate these industries intelligently, and you can promote good actors, and regulate the product and access to it in an intelligent manner, that you can actually reduce the harm caused by these substances. So, basically, harm reduction doesn't allow the perfect to get in uh, to be the enemy of the good.
2: So, David, what is the evidence that harm reduction works um, in the case of tobacco?
0: Sure, I think there there. uh, a few examples, but the one that is cited a lot that's very interesting is the case of snus in Sweden. So Sweden uh, has this tobacco product called snus. It's these pouches of tobacco um, that people put in their upper lip and it releases um, the nicotine uh, and, and other chemicals into the gums, which then enters the bloodstream and then has uh, a an effect. And so The European Union was very skeptical of allowing snus to basically cross the inter-country lines because in their minds they thought, we have a tobacco problem, why would we want more tobacco products? We want fewer tobacco products, which intuitively makes sense. But when you look at the difference uh, that you see between the long-term health outcomes from people who consume snus versus people who consume cigarettes, the effects are very, very pronounced. So uh, if you look at the snooze data, you see very little evidence whatsoever of uh, any kind of cancer, Uh, obviously lung cancer, you you don't really see at all. And when you look at smokers, you see high incidences of all forms of of cancer, uh, in particular, of course, lung cancer. So Sweden actually has the lowest uh, smoking rate, I believe, in, in Europe, because the population that typically smokes, I think it's something around 15 to 17 percent, uh, the male population uses snus instead of, of smoking. That's It's widely accepted, and they actually incentivize it from a taxation point of view, too, so that it's less expensive. And so Sweden actually has really, really good results in terms of their uh, tobacco-related illness compared with the rest of Europe, because Europe didn't allow The proliferation of snooze
2: so basically when given the choice between a less harmful versus a more harmful but maybe more popular product they chose the less harmful version and even though it's still tobacco it you know caused a pretty significant um, reduction in in harm to society Um, why can you tell us about why Tobacco is such an important issue and why we should be thinking about it maybe more than than we do today yeah sure
0: so again you know these are just um, American numbers but the number of people who die from tobacco related illness in the United States is uh, almost five hundred thousand people per year so that's essentially uh, the entire state of Wyoming every year and it causes tremendous pain and and suffering so it's not it's not a pleasant death to, to die from tobacco. And, uh, so, you know, again, it's, it's one of these things that costs society. It causes great harm and it it's the number one preventable cause of death still in the United States today.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, a really big, um, factor, uh, and point to, to think about is that number 500,000, because to put that in perspective, I think the, you know, the number of people that die from, uh, opioid related deaths in the u s um, in recent years has been you know I think around forty or fifty thousand so that's you know one tenth of of what you're seeing from tobacco consistently every year um, so that I think helps put that in perspective how how important this problem is
0: yeah I mean it's it's particularly sad to compare tragedies but yeah those those numbers uh, are accurate for sure
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense um so let's talk a little bit about this product specifically. What are some of the biggest benefits that someone might get from switching from cigarettes to uh, Lucy? Sure. Why would someone switch?
0: Sure. So, I mean, I, I can talk about my own experience for a second. I myself used to be a smoker, uh, until my wife twisted my arm and, and made me promise to quit and uh, I'm glad she did. And, uh, essentially, You know, the the chewing nicotine uh, in the form of uh, a gum, for instance, does not require inhaling burning ash into your lungs. Turns out inhaling burning ash 10 times a day is bad for you, right? And and that's actually what FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb echoes as well, which is um, that the... Consumption of tobacco products or the consumption of nicotine uh, occurs on a continuum of risk with combustible cigarettes or tobacco on one side and Things like pharmaceutical nicotine gums and patches on the other So if you look at the pharmaceutical nicotine gum data You'd be hard-pressed to show any increased incidence of any negative health problem And they've they've done studies on this the lung health study is is probably one of the most famous examples so the idea is, you know, our product was inspired by pharmaceutical nicotine gums for this exact reason because we realized that people needed to understand the, the, the truth and the science behind nicotine consumption and the continuum of risk and uh, we hope that we can inspire people to switch to chewing and, and using our product and uh, eventually uh, helping them transition to a nicotine-free lifestyle if they should choose. but primarily to get people away from these products that we know without a doubt are harmful.
1: So what what are some of the other benefits that somebody might see from, from using this product that, you know, outside of, you know, any physical, uh, sure. h- like health, health issues? Um, w- what are, what are some of the other reasons somebody might want to switch? Sure.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, rightly so. I would say that, uh, smoking cigarettes has, uh, a little bit of a stigma in our society today. And so people uh, are, are often getting pressure from their work, from their spouse, from the, uh, their friends to not uh, be doing what they're doing. And, and that creates an additional psychological toll on people. And so, you know, by, by consuming a an oral nicotine product that you just put in your mouth and absorb the nicotine, that way you can avoid the stigma even of, of being a, a smoker or a nicotine user, and you can use it anywhere. So you can, use it uh, if you have a tight deadline and you're working on something and you're, you know, you, you don't want to break your concentration and, and leave your desk, you can use it uh, in work or in travel. Uh, the, the use of it is not restricted the same way that the use of uh, cigarettes or a vape would be.
2: Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the product Lucy was very much also inspired by the success of Snus in Sweden, uh, which... Um, you touched on, David, where um, they really focused on designing a product that was actually appealing to use and that people could use, um, you know, for enjoyment in the same way that they use cigarettes. And they did that by really focusing on how they can, um, you know, uh, improve the, the, the kinetics of nicotine release um, because of, you know, essentially how fast... You know, the nicotine is released from a cigarette and is absorbed by the body um, through the lungs um, is extremely fast. I think even faster than um, if you were to inject nicotine directly into your veins. So there's a lot of science that goes into how to um, get those same types of kinetics from nicotine absorbed through the mouth, um, and I think that's that's really where. Um, we, you know, sort of went back to the lab with Lucy and, and redesigned the product in a way that gives you the sensation of actually, you know, using a, a tobacco product like a cigarette or, or snus, you know, rather than something that, um, you know, that you can't really uh, enjoy the the sensation of using.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good segue into... Kind of talking more about the product specifically, what wh- wh- what do you think kind of the most important ingredients are in this product? Um, what do you think is important that's not in the product? Um, and kind of what other formulation decisions did we make that um, you think people who use this product will really enjoy?
2: Yeah, I think that we really wanted to stick to the principle of, you know, including uh, ingredients that people are comfortable with and are familiar with, sure. um, and sticking with a, a pure source of nicotine, which is you know really the reason why people use tobacco products. And so, what you'll find in our products are are products that have been u- have a long history of use in food ingredients, and we've you know used them in creative ways in order to. Um, you know, optimize things like the release of nicotine because if if the nicotine is released too quickly, then what happens is you end up you know swallowing most of it, and um, you know it goes into the gut where first of all it's not even um, it can't even be used by the body because it gets you know metabolized and, and broken down, um, and second of all it causes all sorts of um, sort of discomfort um, like heartburn and, and um, gastric distress. So you want to make sure first of all that it's not released too fast. And, you know, the other thing is that you want to make sure that it's not released too slowly, because then it's more like the sensation of using a, uh, a nicotine patch or even, you know, Nicorette, where, you know, it's released in a way that's supposed to maybe, you know, reduce people's cravings, but they don't get that initial sort of spike in nicotine um, in the brain that would, you know, cause the sensation of pleasure or, you know, sort of the invigorating effects that you get from um, from using snus or, or cigarettes. And the way that was done is by using things like pH adjusters, um, buffers that, you know, have been used, interestingly enough, for, for baking uh, ingredients that um, have been used, you know, in, in sort of confectionery uh, products, like, um, like, you know, sort of the more modern gums that you see. Um, the polymers and the resins that are in the gum base, uh, which is sort of a, a catch-all term for the ingredients that make the product have the, the, the properties where you can chew it and, um, you know, you can mold it to fit in your mouth um, between your gum and your cheeks where it's supposed to be absorbed. So, yeah, there's, um, interestingly, for a product that seems as simple as a gum, there's a lot of science that goes into how to, how to make it a, a vehicle for delivering nicotine effectively.
1: And talking about what's not in the product, there's no tobacco leaf in this product, right?
2: So uh, nicotine is uh, extracted from tobacco yeah. um, but in the process of extraction, it's very um, you know rigorously purified. Sure. and so the nicotine that we use, um, is essentially pharmaceutical grade Got it. um, it's it's purified to the point where there are you know there's no uh, other components of of the tobacco leaf um, that are present and um, you know that's uh, that's something that we took a lot of care about you, you know using the highest quality nicotine that's available sure sure what,
1: so what else is in a tobacco leaf that someone might not want to consume
2: so you know obviously there's the tobacco-related nitrosamines, which are, um, you know, components of any sort of leaf tobacco that you'd find, um, you know, including cigarettes or or even smokeless tobacco. You know, those are the ingredients that are known, obviously, to um, be carcinogenic um, and also cause sort of the the cardiovascular effects. Um, Why? Well, because they damage DNA, essentially. Um, They, when they get into the cell, they, cause, you know, errors in the way DNA is copied. And, you know, you can even see this in just a, um, you know, a, a cell culture. Um, that's typically how, how you test for this kind of thing is, you know, you look at cells in a dish, um, you add an, in, an ingredient. And if you start to see, you know, mutations in the, the DNA in the cell, after, you know, a number of replications, then that tells you to some, you know, certain amount of confidence that it it's, you know, potentially carcinogenic. And then we have further evidence, obviously, in humans that ingredients in tobacco uh, cause cancer. But with nicotine itself, you know, there obviously has been extensive research on it, and it's known, you know, not to be carcinogenic. Um, And then we can see from sort of pure nicotine products, um, you know, like the patch, that people that use it long-term do not have a, a, you know, higher incidence of, of any type of cancer, Um, than you would see in a regular population.
1: Got it, yeah, that's really helpful. So Sammy, I mean, I think a really important question to ask during this podcast, since the name is How to Sell Drugs, is just how do we define what a drug actually is?
2: Yeah, so I think that the best way to think about it is that a drug is anything that you introduce into the body externally. That has some kind of physiological effect on the body, and that's sort of a very broad way of defining it. Like you could ask, "Well, is a food a drug?" Because a food is something you introduce, and I think you you sort of get into the realm of like there's a spectrum there where, yeah, um, you know, some foods that you that you eat, you know, have drug-like effects, right? Um, you know, and and supplements are squarely in that gray area, but you know, you have to draw the line somewhere.
1: So where would you draw the line? Is coffee a drug? Is Starburst a drug? Is candy a drug? Nicotine is certainly a drug. Marijuana is a drug. Cocaine is a drug. Pharmaceuticals are drugs. Cancer drugs. But um, but where wh- where does that line stop in your mind? I think
0: if you were being aggressive, sorry to steal that question from no Sammy, ones. but I think if you're being aggressive, you could say sugar is a drug. You could say candy's a drug. And in fact, You've heard people argue something to that effect. You can get, you know, addicted in some ways to sugar. People have argued that Facebook and social media is a drug hmm. because it's very much encouraged to get you to continue to want more and more and more. These external things that release dopamine in your brain, you could argue are drugs, but colloquially speaking, that's not what we first think of when we think of what a drug is. Would you agree, Sammy?
2: Yeah, I mean maybe our job isn't to define what a drug is. It's just to say that there are some chemicals that are used in society for a certain purpose. And that purpose is, you know, can be on the side of, of something like a cancer drug to treat a disease, right? But in other instances like caffeine, it's simply, you know, to get the feeling of using caffeine, which is, you know, some, you know, a boost of energy, um, maybe some focus, a uh, feeling of well being. And so I think a lot of it just has to do with how you, use, how you use the product, how you use the chemical. And I think it's very clear that nicotine is a drug based off of how people use it, right? They use it in a way that they try to get the benefits of it in, in the sense that it has some psychoactive benefits. And obviously, you know, it's something that they feel um, a, a de- uh, sort of a physical dependence for, Right. In in the same way that, you know, people, you know, can get addicted to coffee, you know. So I think that that's how we should look at it. And, you know, I think in that sense, you know, we should answer the question of what's the best way or how do you sell a a drug like nicotine?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good explanation. So, David, um, do you have anything to add about? the name of the podcast and kind of where you want this to go, the type of interviews that you want to do and the topics that you want to cover just on this podcast generally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with regard to the name, uh, how to sell drugs, it's a bit tongue in cheek. We, We really mean how drugs should be sold, right? And so we, as people who are selling nicotine, we are selling a drug and there's a certain responsibility inherent in that that we should do it in in the right way, that there are basically drugs and policies and there's a spectrum out there in the world of better and worse forms of these substances. There are sometimes even substitutes for different substances and there are good and bad policies. And so what we believe is that abstinence and prohibition are bad policies and that intelligent regulation and taxation are good policies. And also we have a responsibility to police ourselves. and so. We believe that we should only make extremely high quality products that we believe are safe. We don't believe that drugs should be given to children, any drug, not just nicotine. And we believe in in responsibly advertising and working with our customers to ensure that we are a good actor in this realm. So that's just something that should be very important to anybody who sells any kind of product drug or otherwise that can affect the human experience. And so we ourselves use our product and, and we stand by it and uh, feel really good about it. And with regard to how we want the direction of the podcast to go in the future, we're interested in speaking to anybody who has a uh, strong background, uh, experience, opinion in drug culture, policy, business. I think that there's some interesting people that we can talk to in The cannabis industry. We know some people who have started coffee brands that have become quite popular. We know people who have interviewed and and looked into the kind of uh, black markets of illegal drugs. And I, I think that there's a whole trove of interesting content and opinions that can be expressed around what the right way to govern the use of these kinds of products in society should be.
1: Got it. Well, I think we're good to wrap up at this point.
0: Thanks everybody for joining us today on another episode of how to sell drugs presented by Lucy.co. We're a podcast about drug culture, policy and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. We hope that you learned something today or at the very least we're entertained and we'll be back very soon with our next episode. Thank you.